0: Right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Digging In, Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast. This is Garrett Hawkins, and I am pleased to serve as your president. Uh, With me today is one of our longtime friends and associates in agriculture, Mr. Brent Hayden. Uh, Many of you will recognize that name as... uh, as a kind of a local Mid-Missouri farm boy, but also a well-known attorney in, in the space of defending agriculture and what those of us hold dear and near and dear to our hearts. So uh, today we're going to put a focus on animal agriculture and specifically the regulation of animal agriculture, an issue that uh, many of us have been engaged in uh, in in the form of debate for many years here in Missouri. So, so Brent's going to walk us through a, a a case in specifics um spe- more specifically uh dealing with Cooper County here in mid Missouri. So Brent let me just first welcome you to your first digging in podcast. How's everything going?
1: Uh, well things are a little hectic over here. It's been a little wild given the uh the pace of litigation, but uh we're we're surviving and I'm excited to be on this podcast for the first time ever.
0: Well, and hopefully this is the first of several to come, but hopefully we're not talking about the same thing, and in this case, litigation. So we really want to focus in, Brent, uh, with this conversation uh, to the Cooper County Health Board, which... Uh, the board took action, uh, it seems like, a few years ago, specific to the regulation of, of animal ag. So maybe just for our listeners who are not attuned to this issue, can you give us the background?
1: Sure. Well, and, yeah, and you're right. I mean, the, the board did give take action in Cooper County, their health board, uh, back in 2018, originally in 2019. But really the story for... Regulation of modern agricultural facilities, particularly for animal ag, uh, as a as this issue is what what can local governments do, and when, and why? In Missouri, it goes all the way back into the 90s. Um, I think a lot of what we really have now kicked off, you know, in the early 90s, the legislature banned third class counties, so that's almost every rural county, banned them from zoning out agriculture, which was a big win for agriculture. Um, like a lot of other, you know, that was kind of the first wave of right-to-farm law. Uh, And then, of course, eventually we got the Constitutional Amendment as well in the last 10 years. But uh, back then, you know, you were starting to see, even in the early 90s, trend of increasing suburban suburbanites moving out and getting closer to traditional rural areas. And uh, in a lot of other states, we'd seen that there were, you know, nuisance suits were coming in and there was a whole push. And so Missouri passed some good legislation back then that said that, one, if you, if you come to the nuisance, if you move and there's already a facility in place, you don't get to sue for that because the law was unclear on that question. They also said rural counties, you know, rural counties are for agriculture. We're not going to let you zone out or ban agricultural uses in rural counties. And so they banned that. That was great. But then that also had the, I guess, unintended consequence of some places in Missouri where there were local units of government that still wanted to put really heavy restriction on animal agriculture in the mid nineties started to turn to health regulations as the justification or agent or really the only justification they had left to try to regulate animal agriculture facilities because they didn't have zoning as a tool anymore. And, that, and we think thats I think that's a good thing. Uh, but they, so they started to say, well, when we don't have that, but under chapter 192 of Missouri law, you know, it had empowered at that time uh, County commissions and then also health boards to pass regulations to, you know, when you look at the statute, it's obvious it was written really to help prevent communicable disease, but uh, they were using some of the vagueness in the statute to try to say they could basically regulate anything that affected human health, which if you think about it is almost anything. There's very few things you couldn't regulate under that justification. Um, And so, you know, there were some challenges from northern Missouri back in the mid-90s that that some farmers said, look, you can't, you, you can't make a regulation at the local level through a health board or a county commission that would be in, a, in excess of what the state regulates, because obviously already animal agriculture facilities, especially confinement facilities have a massive level of regulation coming down from the EPA and federal regulation that then is devolved. And, and uh, the boots on the ground are actually state regulators to DNR that enforce the clean air act, the clean water act and a whole host of other regulations. So it's not like there's not regulations. There's, a bunches and bunches and bunches of regulations there were farmers that sued in the mid-90s in some of these counties to say you, you can't regulate beyond that the courts then though came back and said no they can't if they if you know as long as they don't directly conflict with state law a local health board or a local county commission can make a regulation that's even goes even beyond what the state does and that you know that created like it always does when you have overreaching regulation created this really strange patchwork quilt of regulation in Missouri for for animal agriculture, and there's certain counties you could do you could have a just a a reg a normal modern animal agriculture facility, and others you really couldn't. And you know you might be separated by three miles from a neighbor that has you know one guy can do it and the other guy can't. I mean, seriously curtail the ability of operators, and particularly I think what a lot of people forget is young operators, people who are you know really trying to get going in ag. Animal agriculture, raising livestock has always been a way that that younger people, because it does require energy and does require a certain amount of physical labor um, that sometimes older producers have trouble with or older producers don't want to do, a young guy, that's the niche he can fill. Uh, And so um, it was really starting to cut people out of those. And so for a long time, we've known and, and those of us that advocate for animal agriculture, these were a real problem. Ah, uh, this, this approach to regulation. Now, there's certain parts of the state where it just never took off, and it's been great, and you wouldn't even know that's the way it was. But in particularly in northern Missouri, north of 36, there was a heavy, heavy amount of regulation. You fast forward then, and getting to the the, the story that we're actually dealing with here um, in 2018, Cooper County's Public Health Center Board of Trustees decided they wanted to have a regulation. Um, they had they had never had one before in Cooper County. And Cooper County is interesting in that it has a separate public health board of trustees. So, in Missouri, it can be there's two different approaches county takes. In many counties, the your your local health department will work still directly for the county commission. They don't have their own separate governance or tax base. The county commission runs them, controls them, hires and fires the executive nurse, and so they are just an aspect of the county commission. But Missouri law also, since I believe the 90s, maybe in the 80s, allows the county commission to spend their public health centers out into their own separate entity. Uh, you have to have a local vote to authorize it, but it can be spun out into its own entity and then it's controlled by a board. So it's much like a school board or fire fire district board or one of those water board, a local board that you see otherwise with local elections. And that's what Cooper County did. Oh, I think it's been 10, 12 years ago. So, and so we had an interesting political dynamic in the run up to this in 2018. There was a facility proposed in southwest Cooper County. Uh, There was some local controversy over, you know, there were people that, there were a few people that, and they would consistently show up to meetings that didn't want this facility to move forward. I think it was a very small but vocal minority, which is often the way that it occurs with these regulations. Very small but politically engaged minority can get a lot done. And, um, you know, Cooper County, the Cooper County Public Health Center Board of Trustees by this time is already a separate entity. The commissioners, have been very supportive all along in the Cooper County Commission of animal agriculture, and said we're not going to regulate beyond what the state does. You know, with this business that we see as a pillar of the local economy, and it is a pillar. I mean, it's it's like most rural counties; it is far and away the most important economic activity going on in that county. Um, and so they were great, but but you had a board of trustees, and you had a their professional um, nurse that is the executive director. That, that weren't a regulation. It became very obvious. The, the executive director was heavily uh, engaged, uh, I think, both openly and publicly and behind the scenes in trying to get a regulation passed. And the Board of Trustees came along on that. Right. Um, so in 2018, uh, despite heavy farmer presence at a lot of their meetings and, and you know, farmer groups that are really letting, letting letting them know where they were at and letting them know about their opposition. In 2018, they passed what they called Regulation 5, and it put, put in a bunch of regulations on, really on the animal operations themselves, and then it also put in heavy regulations on the use of manure and litter, uh, poultry litter, as fertilizer in terms of when and how and where you could spread manure. It had some very heavy regulation on that that went way beyond what state regs did. And Of course, in that part of the world, there are a fair number of commercial turkey operators, so that litter is a very important source of Relatively cheap local nutrient. I mean, there's no such thing as cheap, cheap fertilizer anymore. But in relative terms, you know, it's a very readily available source of, of uh, animal driven fertilizer and nutrient for people to reapply into, field, into crop fields. Uh, it, it curtailed all that and it contained regulations on uh, some air regulations that are, that are really absurd in context. Um, and those, those survived on. And it, after that passed in the t- summer of 2018, um there were a large group of farmers got together in cooper county and decided to move forward with litigation against that regulation because we thought it violated the law on several different fronts um in this in the fall of 18 then i took on a group of just over 100 local producers uh in one plaintiff pool and we didn't set up a separate llc or advocacy group we just had a had a little over 100 people put their name on the line and say, you know, we're going to sue the county health board because we think they've their regulation is not backed by science. And and then secondarily, we believe they violated the Sunshine Law, Missouri's open records and open meetings law, in terms of how they made this law. And so uh, that's that's what we did, and we brought hey, a suit that, that fall. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, no, Brent, I, I just – I, I want to really put an emphasis on the number of farmers – and ranchers from the county that area that that banded together. That's a that's a big deal. You know, as yeah. we think historically yeah. about this issue and the battles that have taken place in counties, it's pretty remarkable to see this number of farmers come together, but the case also generated a lot of attention from statewide groups including us uh, as Farm Bureau. So, big picture, you know, obviously the implications for those local farmers, but why do you think it generated so much attention across the state from folks? I think because
1: we had, you know, it's, we've been living about 25 years at this, at that point with uh, kind of the new way, well, what what seems like the new way of regulating we'd really had since the mid-90s, where you just had more and more restriction coming from local units of government. And I know for for most folks, you know, you think, okay, local government is, it's, Going to be better than state level or federal level government, and I think that's often true when it comes to distributing money and figuring out more sophisticated and um, tailored ways to, to spend resources to government. But you know, there's really nothing magical that says that a local re- local regulation can't be too much and can't overreach and can't be you know bureaucratic interference and can't be poorly done. I mean, there's nothing that really protects protects you from that any more than at the state or federal level. I think animal folks in animal agriculture we're finally reaching a point because of developments in several places around the state where they said, look, um, and I, I talked to more and more producers who feel this way that work in the animal space. All they're really going to do is eventually, you know, regulate this down piece piece by piece and piecemeal across the state to where you'll have this really bizarre patchwork of regulations and everywhere there will be this a squeeze on animal agriculture to the point that you know, it, it it won't be profitable anymore. It get to be where it's economically infeasible to, to carry on family, or the, you know, the family operations. And so, and we, you know, we've seen that as a consistent trend. So I think that's, you know, f- f- farmers are sort of starting to figure out. Okay, once they, you know, they came after confinement units first, but eventually it'll be, you know, it'll be it'll be the cow calf guy um, that, that they'll want next. And so I think finally people have looked and said it's enough. I mean, we've had. We, we don't, we do not believe that these are environmentally dangerous or dangerous to people's health. We don't think that's based on sound science. And what this really is, is, you know, regulation based on a lot of economic and social factors that don't have anything to do with human health or science. Um, they're being cloaked in that, that justification and they're going to put us out of business if we don't do something. I mean, that's, that's the reality when you talk to producers around the state. And I think that's why this case generated so much attention, um, it was the same old approach, but in a part of the state where we really hadn't seen it. And it was a, we also just, I mean, individually at that, at the local level, we had a lot of really good, young, engaged producers in Cooper County. Um, and guys coming on in their and gals coming on in their thirties that now have young kids themselves and said, you know, if we continue this way, we're not going to be here in 25 or 30 more years to pass on to my kids because they're going to regulate us out of business.
0: So you've done a real good really good job setting us up for the grander discussion about how this case dovetails with legislative action in the legislature right. to Senate Bill 391 so kind of yeah. explain for our listeners how how these two connect Well so uh, yeah so in this, we
1: you know we sued in the fall of 2018 but we and and really we we already made claims that the regulation that they Cooper County initially passed was was arbitrary and capricious. And, you know, that's a magic word. You'll hear us use a lot in the law um, where, you know, it's just agencies and, and regulatory agencies. When you make an ordinance, or you make a rule, you've got to back it up with some kind of sound science. And so we said, you know, there's really not sound science here, but we also wanted something more certain to just say, look, this is just not something that regulating agriculture this way is not something local health boards ought to be doing. They, they, can serve an important function in helping prevent communicable diseases and supporting local and rural health. And there, there are all sorts of things, important things that they can do, but getting involved in environmental regulation of animal agriculture is not something that we think they have the expertise or scope or that they should be doing through a local health board. And there was a big push in ag. And I mean, all the you know, farm bureau and many other ag organizations got engaged on this and said, we need, we need changes in the law. Cause right now the law in Missouri was allowing them to do that. So, that spring of 2019, that legislative session produced Senate Bill 391, and that bill, that was passed and signed by Governor Parson, and it said that you can the, <clears throat> essentially says that local health boards and, lo- and local county commissions in exercising their health regulatory authority cannot regulate agriculture. They can regulate other stuff, still, didn't take away their ability for communicable disease, but you can't regulate agriculture. You can't make a law specifically said that is more stringent than or inconsistent with state laws, state environmental laws, which ultimately mirror and track the federal law. And so that gave us another arrow in our quiver. Uh, And then the summer of 2019, the Cooper County Health Board went back. They repealed their regulation from 2018, what they called Regulation 5. But then in August of that year, they passed Regulation 6. And Regulation 6 was substantially similar to regulation 5 it had a few changes but much of it was was similar or the same um one interesting thing that was in the regulation 6 that i think i, I talked to people about is it has regulations on uh, environmental ammonia and that ended up being a sticking point in the regulation because originally the judge ultimately said during our proceedings his decision was that all the other provisions of this bill regarding, or I'm sorry, of the regulation regarding manure and air quality, they could be struck under state law. But ammonia, you know, there was no, there is no federal regulation on on ambient ammonia levels. There's OSHA regulations on how much you can have in an enclosed space, but not just in the open air. And that's because it's a, the natural, you know, it's a natural chemical that's in the air all the time, and uh, levels rise and fall. And you know, they've, they found that the safety threshold. Um, you, you don't get the threat. You, you'll detect the ammonia long before you hit the safety threshold as a rule. long as you're not in an enclosed space. So there's all these reasons they don't regulate it. Judge originally found that because there is no regulation, and this is based on some earlier case law, but this, this is an ironic rendering, but this is, there was some earlier Missouri case law that indicated this is the way things were a lack of regulation because there's no regulation at all. Then the underlying regulation cannot be in addition to or inconsistent with that reg because there's no reg to begin with. Now, to a layman, if you haven't seen the case law, that sounds kind of crazy because, I mean, it's like, you know, if, you, if your local government said that you can't own a shovel and the state doesn't have a law about that, you would certainly think about that law as being more stringent or inconsistent with state law. But that's kind of where we were. And what was crazy about their ammonia rule, their ammonia rule was they were saying that at the border of a of a confined animal feeding operation, you couldn't be over it's, – it's actually even less than one part per million, but it's a fraction one part per million. The problem with that is is the most sensitive noses stop detecting ammonia at about five parts per million. And there's studies out there that will tell you in agricultural heavy areas, particularly in the spring and fall, when you're turning some soil over just naturally as part of planting and harvest, you'll have natural ambient ammonia levels, sometimes of three parts per million, everywhere. And so you really are setting them up for an, a, a standard they simply cannot meet. The regulation had pulled that standard from a CDC standard from the late 70s. But when you read the CDC paperwork, all they really say is, well, this is the number which we know there is no concern about human health. We're not saying that numbers above that are dangerous. And so it really wasn't a, a number even generated for the same reason. But that's the sort of thing we were dealing with. That tool, 391, though, gave us the tool to then say, look, regardless of this science fight, and, and we, think we're, we think you're dead wrong on the science, but regardless of that, you can't make a law like this at the local level. You just cannot regulate agriculture out using local health regulations for their for their environmental what are environmental regulations at the state level. And so, just at the state level, the state rules work. So that that was where we were at. You know, after as we went into the fall of 19 and into 20, we had 391 in place. We went forward with a summary judgment claim in that case, and we we won almost all of it except on ammonia and then that kind of brought us back in 21 to set us up for Senate Bill 271.
0: Yes. So hey. fast forward, Brent, this past yeah. you've had some the landowners, the the farmers, you the team ha- have seen some positive movement. In April 2022, uh, the judge struck down Regulation 6, right, citing inconsistency with state law. Correct. And correct. Had some victories on the front of Sunshine Law violation, correct?
1: Yep, that's right. And that's where, so after we, you know, the, the legislature kind of rounded out one more bill, much like 391, they made a couple more additions in 271, a bill called 271 in 2021, signed by the governor, moved forward. Um, that allowed us to go back and get a full summary judgment, so we won on the underlying issue of whether or not this law can apply. And so that, that is pending, or, or that, that decision was in place, but and then was kind of set to one side, but then we still had our sunshine issues that we needed to deal with because we ultimately had pled and believed that the health board had violated Missouri state sunshine law, in terms of how it had done its meetings in the run up in in eighteen and into nineteen to passing these ordinances, and so that that issue was also sent to jury trial just uh, two weeks ago in Cooper County, and um, the jury came back and said, yeah, I and mean, there's there's five different five different sort of issues submitted. There was a finding of a violation of all of those, and then the jury came back and said that all that we believe each of those violations was also done knowingly. And that's a big deal because it gives the judge discretion to, uh, you know, to come back and, and give us attorney's fees uh, for our plaintiffs who've, who've worked and and sweated and bled to, to get this case there. It's been a long time, and we've been through a pandemic in the middle of it, kind of slowed everything down. And uh, But, um, yeah, it, it put us in a position to do that, and now we're still mid-litigation uh, mid on that. I mean, we've still got to go back in front of the judge and see if we can get those attorney's fees because he has discretion. On whether he's going to do it, but that's that's where it leaves us right now.
0: Well, you know, this is this has been a long time coming, Brent. I mean, what you've described <laughs> is, you know, literally we're talking about well over two decades worth of debate regarding animal ag, and you see all of a sudden this progress in the form of Uh, clarity coming from the general assembly and ultimately signed by governor Parson. And then that combined with a a group of of farmers who are willing to stand up and to push back against over-regulation at the local level, knowing that it was wrong. So it's like you've had two trains rolling down the track, or maybe there's a better analogy, but you know, there's been a lot of work done to get us to this point, just just to be able to argue for the freedom to operate. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't know how else to that's say it, but right. then we are fighting for the future of agriculture and providing opportunities to bring the next generation home. And to do that, we've got to have all the tools in the toolbox. All options should be on the table as people think about the future of their farm and what works best. And in this case, that's what this has been all about, is making sure that animal agriculture, modern animal agriculture, still has a place in our communities and our counties.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. And, um, you know, if if, I think if we had continued to let things go the way they were going, like I said earlier, we would have had a real problem long term. Uh, The legislature and, you know, Missouri's agricultural associations, Farm Bureau, the tip of the spear, as always. I mean, it's put us in a position where we've we've got some breathing room on that. Now, we've still got work to do, as always. And we've got to continue to spread the word and work hard on these issues. It's not no no victory is eternal. (laughs) <laughs> uh, when you work in the political realm unfortunately as you know but um it really in the at least in the short to medium term is a big boon to uh, to producers that that you know and using kind of these two tools that are in the toolbox traditional political advocacy on the one hand and litigation to to vindicate and defend you know the rights of producers on the other hand both come together here and, and work to get us a good result. And so, and that's exactly why we have to stay vigilant and stay after, because as always the old saying, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And that's kind of where we are here again.
0: Couldn't have said it better, Brent. You know, that's why Farm Bureau is proud to stand with the farmers and landowners who have been on the front lines. So working with you on this case, why we've been proud to, to back knowing that, this conversation is so, so important to the future of agriculture and our ability to bring home the next generation. And truly, it underscores the importance of farmers and organizations being involved in the legal arena. I mean, that's why even at American Farm Bureau, we have a legal legal advocacy team, essentially, uh, now to, that to work on cases of national importance. It just underscores that, yes, our work in the traditional legislative branch is so important, while at the same time, in today's day and age, we also have to be vigilant uh, in making sure that we are seeking uh, action and outcomes through the courts uh, to protect our way of life.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, there's, and, and unfortunately, I, I, you know we, nobody, least of all farmers, like to be in court. Um, I do it for a living. I don't particularly like it, but that's, (laughs) you know, being being in court, being in combat every day, I mean, it gets very exhausting, but unfortunately, that's kind of the only, in the long run, there's going to be more of this, and it's probably the only way to protect uh, our way of life and protect farming and ranching as as a business that's going to survive in Missouri is that there will be threats to it. We already know they're there. And, you know, there's things, there's a lot of things we've got to do that aren't going to be political or legal in terms of just, you know, we've gotten a lot better the last five, six, eight years at kind of telling our story, fitting into that part of it. We've got to do more of that all the
0: time. And on that note, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Brent, thanks for taking time. You've got a tremendously busy schedule as you fight uh, the good fight on many fronts we appreciate uh we appreciate that uh you're you always keep it interesting and um we know where your heart is so so thanks for tuning in to your first And participating in your first Digging In podcast, I'm sure this won't be the last, but this is a great background, a great primer for our listeners uh, in the space of animal ag and how we protect uh, animal ag today as well as into the future. So, for everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll see you or uh, visit with you next time on the next edition of Digging In. This is Garrett Hawkins signing off. Take care.